Welcome to The Corner, the celebration and conversation of everything creative. It's a soapbox, it's an intersection, it's a gathering place. Here we go. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds better. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, can you tell me whether uh, it's using this microphone or my computer microphone? I feel like I can hear them both. Okay. Uh, I... um, well, good. Let's uh, pretend that that's okay. Uh, good. <laughs> this, is, this is much better because I can hear you, but I can't hear myself echoing like that. Oh, did you did you get my message that you have to you had to recreate the recording or did you figure that out? I figured that out. Yeah, okay. I, right. yeah, my training wheels are still on, but uh, <laughs> I'm doing doing quite well, I think. So, how, how many episodes have you had? This is number two. All uh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, the first one was 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 a lot of fun too. So, like, I'm 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 having a blast so far. And um, how uh, how long should I set aside? Um, I, I don't want to take every minute of your night, um, <laughs> but, uh, an hour and a half, two hours. Is that, that good? okay? I can do, I can give you an hour and a half. All right. Perfect. All right. Uh, yeah. Cause I didn't, definitely didn't want to monopolize time. And you're already recording. So that's, and that's a good thing too. Cause Absolutely. A, a lot of good stuff happens, you know, when you like before you hit, hit roll on the tape. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've learned that lesson already. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, I'm opening up um, some poems that I've written recently. All right. Um, just so that we can talk about. Uh, Perfect. And I've got I've got some some other things that uh, if we get to them, we get to them. If we don't, we, that's fine too. Sure. Yeah. Um, I I want to give you a formal introduction uh, for the people out there in the ether. Okay. Um, right. if, if that's fine, <laughs> that's fine. Now, All remember, right. remember, of course, uh, that you can, uh, I started doing that with my own podcast. I would say hi to my guest and then I would, uh, read the formal introduction right in front of them, uh, the way I suspect you're about to do to me. Absolutely. Um, but then, and then I realized, oh, you know what? I can just start the interview and then I can do the formal introduction afterward. Um, when, once I once I know what the interview was like, but all right, that's it. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job anymore. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So, uh, hello and welcome to the corner. Welcome back to the corner for episode two. Actually, I'm just going to name it right there. Um, I'm on the corner with Taylor Molly, uh, New York City 
performance poet. Um, he's one of the most well-known poets to come out of the slam poetry movement. Um, personally, one of my favorites. Uh, so I'm going to put that out there immediately. Um, he, he was also on Deaf Poetry Jam. So if you ever watch that, you should watch it again, at least the, the first couple of few seasons, because um, that's where he is. Um, he is a four-time National Poetry Slam champion, author of four books, including What Teachers Make in Praise of the Greatest Job in the World. And we will definitely talk about teaching um, because I, I'm fascinated with the world of education being in education myself. Um, since 1998, over 1,000 people have become teachers after reading and listening to Taylor Molly's passionate poems about his experiences teaching middle school, high school, and college. Um, much, much respect for the, the middle school and high school, especially. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, what a beautiful disaster that age group is. But, uh, yeah. um, and then um, I remember, this is what I remember. I've seen you a couple times with former classes of mine and also on my own at Dartmouth College, um, not as a student, but as a as an overseer of things, I guess. And you, uh, I remember you donating to over 12 inches of your hair to American Cancer Society. So big time respect for that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you're also a voiceover, uh, voiceover actor and, and uh, notably Burger King, I'm reading. Um, Burger King. When yes. you have it your way, it just <laughs> tastes better. There we go. And uh, yeah, so please welcome uh, illustrious listeners of The Corner, Mr. Taylor Molly. Thank you so much, Matthew. You're Wonderful right. to be here on The Corner with you. And thank you again for coming. This means a lot to me. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember meeting me. I, I met you in Concord first. Okay. Uh, and uh, as I took my classes down, and my classes were actually one of the few classes that didn't ask you to tell dirty poems. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, you, you at that point actually gave gave me some some kudos for that because uh, my my students were were right on the poetry part of it, not the dirtiness of. Which surprised me, considering who I am. But uh, and then I met you a few days after, after that, that um, at that Dartmouth College, where you were very kind with your time and with your signature, and give put your put your Herbie Hancock in both the last time as we are and what learning leaves. Um, Thank you so much. Did you call it my Herbie Hancock? I did. I did. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I'm a big jazz fan, so that's going to be a thing that comes through with the show. I think. So, okay. So. Um, that Dartmouth reading, that was the one where um, I read for about a little over an hour, right? And yeah, it's, I think it's, so. on, it's on YouTube, and it's called Words and Their Consequences. And they That's wanted me to talk about just that. that. And um, there were a couple of student poets who read before me. And I remember it was, I, I had a wonderful time with that reading. Did I still have long hair? You did, you did. It, okay, so I was, about, I was about to cut it out, cut it off and donated it to the cancer american cancer society i remember if you if you watch the video on youtube i attempt to name the seven dwarves the, <laughs> the seven deadly sins yes and the seven um wonders of the ancient world yes. uh, alternately and I, I can't remember how far i get but it's like sleepy pride <laughs> the mausoleum of halicarnassus dopey <laughs> anger 
the Colossus at Rhodes. And I, I don't think I can do that anymore. So don't let me try. I'm not going to because I know right. I couldn't. So I'm not going to make you do right. anything I know okay. I can't do. So. Okay. All right. Um, I'm remembering that now. That was that was hilarious. So that was that was a fun time. It's the it's the uh, I I, what what you know people are sort of half expecting you. Like it's hard enough to name just the seven dwarves. Um, Bashful is the one that everybody forgets. That's the one Uh, I forget. Right, of course. And then uh, they say that if you uh, when you try to name the seven deadly sins, the one you forget is the one that you're guilty of. (laughs) <laughs> um, I gotta wonder, and I, I and might try the, it later. <laughs> and then the seven, the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, I, I, you know, I think there was a time when I when I could do that, um, but to name them all alternately, people are sort of half hoping that you'll succeed and half hoping that uh, you'll you know fail miserably, and that's <laughs> that, that's what makes a good performance. I think. I think so too. I mean, especially yeah. something that's for the moment, and it's. I mean, I'm, I gotta be honest. I'm a total blank slate when it comes to Seven Wonders of the World. So, a totally blank slate there. Well, I mean, there's there's only one that it, that still exists, and that is a, the, the Great uh, uh, Pyramids of Egypt. Okay, okay, I did know that one. Then all the others, um, and you'd think that uh, the Great Wall of China would be on them, but they're very uh, uh, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean centric. Gotcha. But you've heard of the others, the Hanging Gardens of, of uh, the hanging, the Ziggurat, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Colossus at Rhodes, that huge statue, the, the lighthouse at Alexandria. They just they all got burned down in the last you know two thousand years, mm. and and uh, and it was it was really uh, much was made of it, but but apparently the guy who sort of invented the seven wonders of the ancient world was really just trying to drum up tourism in the ancient world um there are a lot that that should be there and and uh and they should have perhaps edited the list uh when they when when as each one got destroyed anyway <laughs> let's not i've already started <laughs> you off on a, on a on a bad bad road no i love these kind of tangents honestly they're very human and that's like that's part of what i'm about to about on this podcast is like the celebration of the for lack of better words the shit that makes us human so yeah, a, yeah, yeah. so um, you just said shit which means that i can say shit right? exactly exactly okay. that right, was that you. was that was my permission to swear okay <laughs> so, got it my last guest like i i said something similar in his intro and uh he's like well you answered my question i can curse on the show <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, it, it gives us a little more ease if we could talk real. Yeah, you know? absolutely, you know? absolutely. So start start me off. What do you want to know? I'm I'm your guest. I'm your um, I'm at your disposal. Right, so the the I've uh, like I've reread all all of your poetry that I have. Um, um, in the course of the week, because like I wanted to do my homework, um, especially knowing that your your background is in education, mm-hmm. and. You know, actually, all, honestly, mine is too. So, like, I didn't want to come in not doing my due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've got. Uh, so I'm going to start. I'm going to start with. Um, I can always. I'm not very good at Latin, but I do know that I love this poem of yours, um, Ars Poetica, um, and the idea of what poetry is and isn't. And I, I truthfully was going to. I was playing with this idea of calling this show, what poetry is and isn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't even know if I fully have my own working definition other than what I like, what I like to write, 
Right. Because, um, well, I mean, I, I, I do like some of the explanations I've seen you come up with. So how would, how would you, at this moment in time, on the 26th of November 2022, define poetry for what it is and isn't, actually? Yeah. I think the first thing you have to say is that for thousands of years, poetry has sort of escaped being pinned down by any single uh, one definition. And that's what makes it so curious. It is so many things to so many people. Um, that you'll never be able to, you know, have everybody agree. Ah, yes, that that is what poetry is. Right. So just understand that you know. But and even um, I think the epigraph of that of that poem is that line by uh, Webster or uh, not Coleridge, uh, somebody who said, uh, you know, if you try to circumscribe poetry with a definition you will end up showing saying more about the definer than you will about the thing you are trying to define you know if you you want to tell me what you think poetry is you're going to tell me more about who you are and so for a long time and i don't know whether this was before or after i wrote that poem ars poetica uh, i was a collector of definitions of poetry and you could sort of group them, you know, you, you, when you spend enough time reading what people have said they think poetry is for a thousand years, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who say, no, it's about making what is old appear new and what, making what is new appear familiar. And other people say, no, it's about the imagination set free <laughs> on the wings of a flower. And others say, no, it is the expiation of sin. And it is therapy. And it is, you know, imaginary, uh, uh, imaginary gardens with real toads in them. <laughs> and, um, and, and Robert Frost had, um, you know, amazing uh, definitions of poetry or, or little observations about poetry if there is no surprise for the for the writer there will be no surprise for the reader um, so he sat down to write thinking i don't know where this poem's going to take me um, and i shouldn't um, because if 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 i knew where this poem was going to take me then then i there shouldn't be i shouldn't have any interest in writing it i uh, somebody once asked uh, my, my mentor billy collins like what's your favorite poem uh, and he said, uh, oh, you know what? My favorite poem is the next one that I'm going to write, the one that I'm going to write tonight. Because every poem he's ever written, he claims, you know, is now, okay, I'm now lo no longer interested in that one, which is, right. that's just stupid. That's stupid. I, st I still love him, though. I still love him. Well, Billy's awesome. Man. He is. He is. Have you gotten to see him live? I have not. I've watched a ton of his videos through the pandemic, and, and, uh, I, I adore his poetry because he's just, he's that realness about it. And uh, that, yeah, I have not seen him live though. I need to see him live. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. He's, I, and I, I feel I invited him to read at the poetry slam series that I helped run back in New York in the nineties and early two thousands. And in 2000, in 2002, I invited him to come and read uh, at my series, and um, 
And he had a wonderful time. And I think it was the first time he had ever read in front of drunk poetry fans. <laughs> and he had a great time. And so I invited him to read again with just with me on stage in a in a reading that we would call page versus stage. And he said, Oh, I'd love to. It sounded fun. I um, but not I can't do it any uh for the rest of 2002, I, I'm, I'm too booked up. And so I picked a date and I picked uh, November, maybe it was 2003 or four that I invited him. And, and uh, I said, how about November 11th, 2005? And it was at that time, it, that was 20 months in advance. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, gee, Taylor, I think I'm busy that night. I think I'm getting my hair done. I'll see if I can move things around. But it was a wonderful 20 months for me to be sort of looking for, you know, oh, I've got my, you know, my wedding anniversaries coming up. I've got two of those coming up. And then my birthday, I've got two birthdays. And then, oh, yeah, you know, almost two years from now, I'm going to be having a reading with my hero and mentor, Billy Collins. And I prepared for it. It was fantastic. I woke up that morning in Copenhagen and, and flew to New York. There was, I was at the end of a European teaching tour and I flew to New York. I had my buddy Reeves uh, prepared to, to like take my place on stage if I couldn't make it, but I made it. And, uh, and my wife had, uh, you know, she said, I, look, we didn't talk about this because you were out of the country, but I know this is the biggest reading of your life. So I, I ordered two platters of hors d'oeuvres and got a case of red and a case of white if you wanted to invite people back to our house. So Billy Collins came back to my house and he, oh, flirted, he flirted with my wife's cousin. And uh, <laughs> it was just, it was an absolute great night. And that event at the Bowery Poetry Club on Veterans Day of 2005 called Page Versus Stage became merely the first, uh, the first reading in what became a, a series, which I guess has stopped now because we, 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 we haven't put on a show since before the pandemic. But, uh, you know, eight, a 15 year uh, long series, we changed the name to Page Meets Stage. Oh, yeah. And uh, we still do it at, at AWP. Have you ever been to the AWP conference? Not in a long, long time. Uh, okay. All right. It's, it's, you know, it's the poetry slam for adults. And uh, it's a bunch of 10,000, you know, nerds and writers getting together in a different city uh, every March. And so I still put on Page Meets Stage there. Billy Collins has never come back to, to try to, for the rematch. But uh, <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, I was talking about Billy Collins. Um, Oh yeah. He says, he says poetry, you know, after he writes a poem, it's, it's dead to him. I did also ask him, and I'm sorry if I'm co-opted, just interrupt me with a question. No worries. Um, I did in the, in preparation for our very first meeting, page meets stage, you know, it was supposed to be a, a literary poet meets a, a spoken word poet, somebody who's more page oriented like Billy. Um, although he's a fantastic reader. Um, reading with somebody like me who's, you know, maybe not necessarily a, a slam uh, champion or, or poet, but somebody who, who writes for the ear, not necessarily the eye. Um, and I said, how do you prepare 
for your next reading, for every reading. And he said, I don't, because every reading is essentially um, a dress rehearsal for the next one. And I, and I said, ah, that's just plain stupid. That's, that, that makes me realize that there really is a difference between you and me. Because, you know, to a spoken word poet, the act of performance, the live performance, you know, that is, that is the thing. That is the definitive. There is no definitive text of my poem. I've had graduate students come up to me and say, hey, listen, I saw you do that poem on YouTube and I read it in your book and I was thrilled that you did it here tonight, except none of those three readings are completely the same. Which one is the definitive version? And I always say, ah, it's the, it's the one that I did tonight, at least for today. Right. You know? yeah. So I, I definitely um, value the live reading. You know, and if something weird happens in the middle of my reading, if somebody <laughs> drops something on the floor like that, I'll try to work it into my poem if I can. Um, because that makes people realize, oh, shit, he's talking about right now. He's not just reading a dead poem on a page. You know, every act, every every thing that happened, uh, every, oh, I was once doing a reading at the Dalton School, which is a private school in Manhattan. It's where Anderson Cooper went. And, uh, and I noticed that nobody could pay attention to what I was saying because there was this huge, like, moth flying around the auditorium oh, man. and so i just incorporate i put it into my poem and people realize oh shit he's talking about right now maybe i better pay better attention anyway this is all to answer your first question what <laughs> what is poetry uh is it is it um you know is it the truth dressed up in this in its sunday best um to me there's always something a little bit of, a little bit expected and a little bit um, surprising. Um, sometimes I like to say that my poems are, you know, observations, artful observations made after um, making observations. The word observation is key to me because an observation is, is both the act of observing as well as the act of commenting, you know, on, uh, on, on something yeah. you could, you know, you were a teacher, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, when you were, um, when you're a teacher, you, you, sh especially when you're a new teacher, you should be observed, right. By the department head or the Dean of students or the, uh, the Dean of faculty, or maybe even, you know, the head of the school, the principal comes in and observes your classroom. And it really should happen when you're a new teacher. It really should happen once once a month or so. Um, once once the once your department head realizes, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to worry about him. He's, he knows what he's doing. They often they don't come they don't come by your classroom for, for you know two or three years. But it's not uncommon. Uh, you know what I'm saying. If I were your boss, your department head, and I said, hey, listen, I've got a couple of, of observe observations that I made. Uh, from my last observation of you. Well, you, you understand that, oh, those are two different, he means two different things by that, those, that one word. Right. 
There's the observation. And then there are the little anecdotes, the observations, you know, that I made. And so poetry is, is both of those things. Um, hey, I observed this thing. And Emerson said to believe that in your heart of hearts that what is true for you is true for all of mankind. That is genius. And so I, I like to do that. I like to make observations and then force myself to believe I, I cannot be the only person who has ever thought this. So let me, let me make some observations about my observations. And I'll probably get some people who go, I thought I was the only person who thought that. That, that, that's, that right there is getting closer to my definition. Okay, good. As of right now. Because like, like, as, I mean, I, I feel like I, I might have told you back in the day, but I'll tell you again that like my, my world is similarly, you know, similarly backgrounded and I, and it's, uh, I'm grounded in education. I'm grounded in poetry and I am a poet. I have my own book out there that I, that I work my ass off to put out there. Um, and, and that question came up with me when I did, I did like the mini version of what you do, like very mini version of what you do. <laughs> like I did a, about a half a dozen high schools with my poetry and, uh -huh. and, uh, did some, some, couple one-offs where I was like the feature poet um, at some really weird, otherwise weird nights because the, the, the guy that ran or runs or owns the venue yep. that I was doing my own thing at only really likes poetry when he's drunk. And this is it is his own admission. <laughs> uh, so like he, you know, when I had to get my, my, my solo show going a few years ago, I told him, I said like, just him. I'm the guy he likes when he has his whiskey in his hand. <laughs> And that and, made him go, oh, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, that fucking guy. And he like he and he gave me the entire night for, uh, I forgot how little I paid to get on that stage because like it was, it was usually a three hundred dollar fee to get myself on stage. And he, I think if I gave him, I gave him a bottle of Jameson and and he gave me the night, which was amazing to me. But that question that comes up is, what is poetry? And I think. You really hit on a lot of the thoughts that I think about it, because if anything, and I'm, this is where I'm going to disagree with your mentor as well, Okay, um, is that my poetry, like I definitely have, I'm done with some of my poems, definitely like don't want to fucking perform those ever again, but there's still, I still, if I have to, and if someone asks me to, I want them to be alive. And so poetry has to be alive to me. So when you say something about like, working in that moth that just keeps people's attention that poetry is right here right now that 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 tells me that there's another poet out there that says okay poetry has to be alive it has to be right now um and i do think that the that to a certain degree some poems can can go off to the restroom place place but like i think even the oldest of poems should still have some sort of life and breath in them uh, and yes. i and I and so the 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 the, the liveliness of say even Homer, um, whoever that 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 person was, right. uh, should still be there. Like the breath and the blood and the marrow, if you will, if we want to go dead poet society about it. Um, I mean, I think that we we poetry should be living. Otherwise, we're not going to catch anybody's attention with it, and. She's sure as hell not going to teach any kids about how important it can be. No. So, 
So that I really appreciate your definition. That's my long-winded way of saying thank you for your definition. <laughs> All right. Second question. All right. So, uh, yeah, I've got so I've got a bunch of stuff I'd like to touch on for sure. But I, sure. but I definitely want to be appreciative of your time. Um, so, so I'm going to dig into the vaults on this one. I think. Okay. All right. Uh, Do you need go... me to prepare? Do you need me to? I, when you mentioned Ars Poetica, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to go get that book. I mean, it would take me. It would take me 25 seconds to go behind me and get any of my books uh, if you want me to read those old poems. Or... If, you, if you would like. I mean, I'm really interested in the fact that you said you have some new stuff, too. So I, I do have new stuff. I've got, I've got, as we've been talking, I've been pulling up poems that I've written in the last two years, some of which have never, ever been heard. Awesome. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's go there when we go to hearing some poetry. Okay. Right. Um, but for first, I mean, speaking of liveliness and everything, I'm going to go back to, to November of 2006. Poetry magazine letter to the editor you wrote. Oh God! Uh, I, I I I I like to dig a little deep. I get a little obsessive. My wife loves to pick on me about it. Okay. Um, it's like I I like to use the phrase that, that that she's because she's coined it that my brain is somewhere in the realm of genius versus insanity, <laughs> and and you never know which side is winning. But um, but she loves me and. And so that that's all that matters to me. That's great. Uh, so so this so is that, this is a, a letter to the editor I wrote that got published in Poetry Magazine in what year? Two thousand six, November two thousand six. Okay, all right. and I subscribe. I subscribe to that magazine. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, don't, I don't think I do it anymore. But, uh, but it's because I, I do. I mean, that's one of the few poetry magazines that I'm not. Um, I don't feel like they're trying to put me down for growing up in in. In a, in a shitty neighborhood, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, but in that in that letter to the editor, what did I say? You were talking about academia versus um, versus art, and that's how I broke it down anyway. And you're talking about how you know, Carol Bloom has his criticisms of poetry and slam poetry, but he's probably never been to a slam poetry event. And then, like, no matter what the new form of poetry is, academia is probably going to shit on it. Because that's kind of what those folks do, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, I found I, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, this this is really a cool entrance point because I'm hoping he still feels this way, for one, and two, I know I feel this way because I I know I'm an academic, I know I'm in the world of schools and education, but like I said about poetry, if it's not alive, how am I pulling anybody with me? Well, then so, you're already one of the good ones. Um... Because there are a lot of, you said, I know I'm an academic. I'm, I'm in the academy. Uh, you're in education. There are so many poets. Like when, when I introduce poets on Page Meets Stage, I'm like, yeah, Page Meets Stage is, you know, where we take academic poets. And these poets say, oh, well, don't call me academic. And I say, I'm sorry. I was under the impression that you were the head of the creative writing department at Sarah Lawrence College. Excuse me, but you teach in the academy. Right. But, you know, academic, they don't like the bad word. They'll take the health insurance. They'll take the tenure. They just don't <laughs> want the bad aspects to it. What was I? I mean, Harold Bloom famously called Poetry Slams the death of art. Yes, that was even, the... Even uh, though it was, you know, he admitted he had never been to one. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he, he's never been to one, and I'm not sure if he's has he read has he written poems? Because I, I, that's that's I'm not that you have to write a poem to criticize a poem, but I think 
it, it, it doesn't the, the dichotomy there would be Grand Canyon size. Yeah, huge. It, it seems he's opening himself up for the type of ridicule he you know was not expecting. Yeah, and it, and I'm the type of mouth that is going to sound off on it. So uh, it's, so that's what I'm doing sort of now, and and um, and I I I I feel that we're on a page. No pun intended, or maybe intended, but but uh, I feel like you and I are at least in working on the, working on being on the same page with this. Because like I feel like there's so many dirty words at both of these sides that artists want to say academia is dirty, academia wants to say art is dirty, but then they want to cut kind of crap on themselves too. It's all self defeating, and I have no idea how to make heads and tails of it. So, but. Your letter was so succinct, and I'm like, okay, this is this might be this was this might be good good fodder for conversation. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I only vaguely remember writing that, but I didn't. It. I, I think there were some uh, the controversy. There were some follow up letters of people saying, "I'm responding to Taylor Molly's letter of last issue. Here, here, and he's wrong. No, he's right. <laughs> I, yeah, I read some of that follow-up and I was laughing out loud to the point where like people around me were, well, they, they always look at me weirdly, but they, they were definitely looking at me weirdly. Oh. I was like, you're laughing about poetry. Like, actually, no, yeah, I'm no. actually laughing about letters to the editor. Letters to the editor in Poetry Magazine. <laughs> right. oh, There's God. a whole other level of dorkdom going on. Right, there, so. right. right. <clears throat> What's but, next? Um, let's see. Um, for, for, okay, like they, I mean, you don't have to read the poem, but if unless you want to, but Silver Lined Heart, thank you very much for that poem. That's one of those poems that uh, that one, and then also leading into any language, much less English, because I, I feel like you really like the, I, the way the way you. I'm going to quote you when you said, "I don't care if your commas are in the right place, as so long as I know your heart is." Right, and right. that to me, that's that's kind of. Not even kind of. That is like that. That to me is another person saying how I try to live, and that's that's where I was like when someone says they feel this, I was feeling that, and that that sir is a beautiful moment in your poetry. Hey, listen, I found it on my computer. I'm I'm sitting here in front of my computer. My books are all behind me on the bookshelf, but uh, so um, if you have it in front of you, this might be interesting because uh, I I don't know whether uh, this this draft of this poem is what made it into the book, but I'll read it. I can, I can get that out. I have it right here too. Any language, much less English, which in this version has a subtitle, or that being said. When I speak to people, I don't look them in the eyes. I pick one, usually the left, and I sink into it all the way up to my ears, unblinking, and I don't look away no matter what they say. And I suppose that makes me look somewhat intimidating. And since by far the hardest part of listening is keeping your own mouth shut, I try sometimes just for fun to breathe deeply through my nose until my interlocutor is absolutely entirely totally finished. And I've heard this makes me look angry. And of course, I'm a teacher, which apparently means that I might at any moment whip, whip out a red pen 
and start Xing your language in the air, circling every word you mispronunciate and correcting your stultifyingly inelegant syntax irregardless of the context in which you are speaking in. Oh, for crying out loud, you're fucking killing me. <laughs> that could be part of the explanation as well. But that being said, standing in front of me, speaking face to face, some people seem to forget how to speak any language, much less English. So I'm here to tell you, I don't speak in poetry when I talk. I say like and whatever and you know without end. I'm such a terrible speller that I once told a girlfriend she was the passion of my lions. That said, that being said, and having said that, I use these phrases all the time to mean I will stop talking eventually, just not at any moment in the foreseeable future. It's true. In public, you need not only a vision, but an eloquent way to convey it. But in private, I care more about what you say than the words you choose to say it. Having said that, and that <laughs> being said, the message I want to impart is, I don't care if your commas are in the right place, so long as I know that your heart is. Is that pretty much like what was in published in the book? You dropped the F-bomb in there, but I'm, I'm appreciative of it. So yeah, but that, no, I did that. That's not even on the text. I just did that because this is live and I felt like I could. That, well, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, that was pretty much how I see it in, in uh, the, the last time as we are. So You know what? Um, you know what? The, the one thing that's a lie about that poem is uh, when I say, so I'm here to tell you that I don't speak in poetry when I talk. Yeah, I, I, you know, the poem needs to take that turn. And I, as the persona of the poem, need to introduce that, that uh, angle of humility. And look, I'm not perfect. I'm here to tell you that I don't talk in poetry. And yet, I don't say like. I don't say whatever. And I don't say you know. And I don't say um, ah, uh, and er. And it's hard. And I've trained myself and I work really hard on expressing myself using the right words. And when my brain still wants to say, um, ah, and er, I say nothing instead. And, and, and that <laughs> has made me sound so poetic that uh, my friend, Sarah Kay, who's an amazing poet herself, yes, she is. <laughs> once said to me, I can never be sure when you're just talking and when you're reciting a poem. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's then then that is what I want. I, I always want I want to speak with a with a fluency and casualness that makes people think I must be talking off the stop, top of my head but with a precision and an eloquence that makes people think this cannot be a first draft. I speak that way and I write that way for the most part. Yeah. But I dig that. It was like, but, I, I try to do that as well. And I just noticed myself saying like in that situation, but, uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I really dig that, that, that take on it. Cause I, I know I'm not the perfect poet, but who is, yeah. uh, but I, I definitely live in a way that I try to say things in the way I really mean them. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, but I really appreciate that, that, that work you're putting into being understood because that's, 
I, that's 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 some work right there. I think there's a lot of people who would prefer if the world could ignore the way they are speaking their truth and just get straight to their truth. And, and, you know, in a, in a different light, you could call that, you know, tone policing. Right. White people often say, I just don't like your tone, young lady. <laughs> you know, so you don't want to be, you don't want to be that guy. So there's, there is, there is something to be said for, okay, can you, can you just, can you listen to the message behind what he or she or they are saying without criticizing the way they say it? But there is something else, like I just said, like there is something <laughs> else, it, you know, it is worth it to practice speaking. And the world is going to judge you if you say like so much that your audience starts counting the number of likes, then you've lost them, right? They're not listening to what you're saying. They're just Absolutely. counting the likes. As a teacher, you know that, right? Absolutely. I had a French teacher. I'm just thinking about this now. I had a French teacher. I went to an all-boys private school. I guess that's redundant. But I... Uh, he only had three ties and I had little diagrams of each tie. And this is, this says such terrible things about me, but <laughs> I, I was sort of more interested in what, what tie is Monsieur Bernier wearing today? I, 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 he was a good teacher. He wasn't as good as the other French teacher at that school, but, Anyway, if, if anything that distracts from your message is not helping you. Absolutely. Like it's, yeah, that's, and that's what I've been in the classrooms, especially because you are trying to impart some sort of critical thinking on, on the people in front of you. And then when I perform my poetry, like I've been in other English classes doing poetry. So like I, okay, I feel like the teacher's watching me. Then the kids always ask, or the students, I try to say students more often because, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, they always, they always seem to ask those questions that really pop the hood open. So I'm like, I really have to be succinct with this answer, and I have to be a little less flighty and and vague. As much as I want to be, I, I they really want to know what makes this poem work, and because they're really interested in writing, so they need to know. And like I, so I get I get into these bones where I'm like, hey, did I take my Xanax before getting here? Mm. Probably not. Holy shit! I got to just okay, just go for it. Um, but I try to do the different audiences that way. But all at the same time, I try to do diff the different audiences like they're all the same audience because I do want to impart some sort of critical thought into the world. But it's a uh, you know. So it's the work. You remind me of a time that I did. I was teaching a class, and it was about middle school, and there were a bunch of teachers in the room, and I don't know how we started talking about stereotypes. And I said, uh, I wish I could remember the exercise that we were teaching. And I, and I said that, without perhaps thinking, I said at the, you know, at the center of every stereotype, there is a grain of truth. And 
And this one teacher just shot me a look. Like, you can't say that. And I guess what I should have said is stereotypes are based on incomplete or often outdated truths, grains of truth at the time. I think I can still stand by that. I don't see why you couldn't, honestly. It's, it, because they start somewhere. It's not... I have a line. Are... I have a line in one of my poems, <laughs> and if you if you know uh, the last time as we are that book, you probably know Miracle Workers. Yes, and yeah. it's got the line in it. You know, um, the, the the recurring line is, "I'm a teacher. That's what I. That's what we do." And there's a line in there that stopped being funny in about 2011. <laughs> and the line is, um, "If two boys are fighting, I break it up. But if two girls are fighting," I wait until it's over and then I drag what's left to the nurse's office. <laughs> and I did this at this progressive private school in Manhattan. Just And there was dead silence. Oh, man. And then there was questions afterwards. And like, why did you feel the need to capitalize on that outdated stereotype? And I was like, because uh, it's funny. Um, I'll work. I'll do better next time. Just haven't I never came up with a, a a a good line to replace that. And I was talking to a teacher uh, back, um, backstage, waiting for my car, and she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, you got. Oh, you know what? She was she was there to interview for a science job, and so she wasn't a faculty member there. And she said, "Oh, wow, those kids really raked you over the coals about that one line." <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, changing times, it's a little bit of an old line. And I, maybe I am capitalizing, playing off of an old stereotype that, you know, girl fights are, uh, are much more vicious. And she said, no, as a scientist, science completely backs you up because <laughs> men, men fight all the time. And that's how they settle differences and protect the tribe. But women are such a valuable childbearing resource that when two women start fighting, you know it's going to hurt the tribe. And I was like, okay, shut up right now. I do not need you, you know, <laughs> trying to defend me. You're, gonna, you're making this much worse. That's <laughs> fuel for that fire. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know whether she got the job. Oh, man. Let me read you a new poem, okay? Yeah, I was about to ask, actually. All right. I read my mind. All right. Um, I don't think this has ever been published. It's called The Living and the Leaving. And it's about my first wife who died in uh, 2004. And I was going to say today was her birthday, but uh, no, it was three days ago. Yeah. In fact, she died. <laughs> she died, and I went to go see this psychic. Um, she was born in 64. I was born in 65. She, and, uh, and she died. She was born in, uh, on November 23rd, 1964. And she died on September 13th of 2004. Yeah. And I went to go see this psychic. At, at, at a friend's uh, request. And actually, he was very comforting. And, 
and he knew things about her that you know he couldn't possibly have known. So there was there was something something otherworldly going on. And he said, "When did she die?" And I said, "You know, it was she died a month ago, September thirteenth." He said, "And when was her birthday?" I said, "She died. Uh, you know, she was born November twenty third, nineteen sixty four." And he went, <gasps> "She didn't want to be forty. We were getting divorced at the time, and and she said, "Oh my God, she didn't want to be single and forty. And I was just, I was like, even if he. I was impressed that he could do the math that quick, you know, and realize right. that, oh yeah, she died at age in the, you know, the final months of being 39. Oh, man. Um, so I often write about Rebecca and, um, and I can't remember, let, let, let me read this poem to you and I'll, I'll see if I can tell you anything else about it. Okay. The, the living and the leaving. I loved my late wife, but not enough to keep her alive. Oh man, that's uh, this is not the poem. This is me talking, but I'm looking at that line. It's split up. Uh, I broke the first line after wife. So the first line is, I loved my late wife. And then the second line is, but not enough to keep her alive. All right, all right. I'm going back to the poem. I loved my late wife, but not enough to keep her alive. Love alone can't save someone if what they want to do is dive headfirst through an open window. Actually, I don't know, and never will, if when Rebecca died, she dove or clung first to the windowsill, then stepped into the night and let it go. I cannot dream of doing either, but still sometimes I do. Dream of it, I mean, the living and the leaving, the knowing I will never know, the loving, the diving, the grieving, and the letting go. So that's it. And I remember that I, I see now that there's so much rhyme in it. I'm going to read it one more time, twice as fast, emphasizing the rhymes. Okay. All right. Go ahead. The living and the leaving. I loved my late wife, but not enough to keep her alive. Love alone cannot save someone if what they want to do is dive headfirst through an open window. Actually, I don't know and never will. If when Rebecca died, she dove or clung first to the window sill, then stepped into the night and let it go. I cannot dream of doing either, but still sometimes I do. Dream of it, I mean, the living and the leaving, the knowing I will never know, the loving and the diving, the grieving and the letting go. I don't know why I never, I never chose to send that out anywhere. Or maybe I have, and it's just been rejected everywhere. I don't know. But that, that's a heavy one. That's a, that's a little heavy. Yeah. Here's another one. Here's another one. All right. It's called Hay Park Avenue. When you grow up knowing the greatest gift your father ever gave, when you grow up knowing the greatest gift your father ever gave you was loving your mother, when both of them made baseless claims about not being perfect parents, encouraging you not to become their perfect son, because who would ever want one? There will be a name for you, Park Avenue. When you grow up with so much more than money, as I did, which is to say good food, 
grass stains and just the right amount of blood and cuts and plaster casts blessing your precious skin to speak nothing of girls, even the brilliant, bold and beautiful. Let me show you what carpe diem means. When girls kissed you back and loved you back and always came to all of your games and taught you how to break a heart <laughs> so it grew back better than it was before. When you have a place in which to hide or curse and write or cry with maybe even stars glowing on the ceiling of the closet at the end of the hall, the one with the perfect stacks of sheets topped with scalloped bars of soap, there will be a name that people call you. Never mind that books are everywhere and singular teachers stood at the ready like midwives of wonder. If you grew up with money, they will have a name for you. Rich boy, Richie Rich, Mr. Moneybags, Park Avenue, Lucky McTrusterson, Bling Jr. the <laughs> third. It will sting, but don't cry because they won't be all wrong and only you will ever know why. I wrote that for my friend, uh, Megan Fowley's uh, workshop. When, when the pandemic <laughs> hit, all of my friends uh, who used to make their living like me, traveling around teaching poetry workshops, you know, suddenly they couldn't, uh, like all, a lot of the like touring work dried up because nobody's gonna have a visiting stranger come to their class right. and breathe, breathe on them. You know, nobody's even having classes. So a lot of my friends moved to teaching poetry workshops online. And so I took a bunch. I took a bunch to give them some money and to give me, a, you know, another excuse to, to, to write. I don't think this is entirely finished. I think I'm, I think I, you know, I'm talking about, you can't, like, it, it hurt. When you grow up with money, but you know that money isn't the biggest thing that you ever had going for you, oh, you're the only one who's going to know why that's true. You know, I know the greatest thing that my father gave me was loving my mother. You know, I got to watch their relationship. I had a front row seat uh, at the, at, to a loving relationship between a, a man and a woman. Well, and, uh, but, it's, but the last stanza is, you know, they will have these nicknames, Rich Boy, Richie Rich, Mr. Moneybags, Mark <laughs> Avenue, Lucky McTrusterson, Bling Jr. the third. It will sting, but don't cry because they won't all be, they won't be all wrong and only you will ever know why. I think maybe I could have spent another stanza explaining, okay, how are they right? How are they wrong? Is that, and then I, who's, I, I may not have used that, but uh but I need to explain for my, uh, figure it out for myself. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, like, I like that idea, though. Is, uh, thank you very much for sharing those poems. My pleasure. pleasure. And my pleasure. Yeah, def definitely, I'm, I'm honored that neither of them have heard or seen public eyes anyway. So here they are. Thank <clears> you. Excuse me. Uh, I, like, I like the, like, the, you never know what a person's going through, no matter where that person is. So, I love the aspect of that that last poem, feeling that, and then and then the one about uh, about Rebecca was definitely that definitely hit the feels for sure. Oh. And then that's a I I can't imagine I can't imagine all the feelings that went on during that time period of your life for sure. So I definitely want to give that its gravitas and and uh, 
and and then respect for you for going through what you've gone through. So that's uh well, writing poetry about it is part of the healing process for me. Um, I I know that I sometimes play the widower card, you know, like oh poor me, my first wife died, and so I'm trying to be more honest about the fact that. Yeah, she died right as we were getting divorced, which kind of makes it so much worse, you know. Right. I say in one of my poems, you know, boy, boy gets girl, boy leaves girl, girl dies. Do the math, you know. It's right. not your fault. It's not your fault, except, except it totally is, you know. Right. Um, I, th I think that. Touching on that idea, the healing process of it all is I, I definitely view my poetry as it's how I synthesize, but it's also how I heal as well too. I mean, yeah. I've, I've written some poems that that have only seen you know public performance once because they're hard and it's all hell to get through. And I'm writing one as uh, and, and it, this this doesn't get talked about a ton anymore. But I'm writing one about us. Uh, we, my wife and I, lost our uh, son a couple of years ago. Um, mm. Before we met him, um, but we lost him, and uh, was, and uh, so our little one that we have now is definitely we. We were waiting. We were waiting for her for sure. Oh. But uh, but so like I'm writing this. Pro I'm in the process of writing a poem for him, and and I realize the healing is still not even started honestly so it's like oh, it's, so it's like one of those and uh thank you for for listening to that part I mean, so it's like so it's one of those no, things i feel like, for you so much we we um our first kid we thought was going to be a girl um for for various scientific scientific reasons i don't have to spell out to everybody we we knew we absolutely knew that right. it was going to be a girl and then when we went to the 20 week anatomy scan um, you know, the, the, the technician said, uh, do you want to know what you're having? Because we're getting to the, we're getting to the part of the exam where I, I'm going to ask you to look away if you don't want to know. And we said, no, it's okay. We already know. We know we're having a girl. It's <laughs> like 30 <laughs> seconds later, my, my wife says, uh, why does my daughter have a perfectly formed little penis and balls? <laughs> and the and the technician is like, I'm so sorry to tell you this. This is a healthy boy I'm looking at. And we were like, wait, what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had to call the doctor in. And the doctor told us, you know, <clears throat> after the procedure, did you happen to have sex the old-fashioned way? We're like, Yeah. It's like, okay, well, then here's what happened. And he sort of walked us through it. And, um, you know, we already, <laughs> we already had, um, we hadn't bought any pink stuff, but pink stuff had been given to us. Oh, my. And there was a, uh, my son was born on in January 2nd. Um, so, you know, born in the middle of winter. So we had been given this pink uh, snowsuit, little baby snowsuit. And at one point I was in the, what was going to be his nursery, uh, looking up at this pink snowsuit that was hanging off a hook on the back of, a, of the bedroom door. And it just looked like this lifeless pink body hanging. And, uh, and I remember saying to a friend of mine, like, yeah, that, 
the daughter we thought we're, we were going to have is a son. And she said, oh, okay. So after an appropriate period of mourning, the party can commence with a new theme. And I was like, God, I never had the appropriate period of mourning. You know, from mourning the, the loss of the child I thought I was going to have. Right. And now I just co-opted your story because you you really went through it. Yeah, it's a it, like I said, it's a, it's one of those things that like I definitely am writing my way through. And uh, if it was not for poetry, yeah, I really don't know what I would do with that because like it's that's not something. My, I mean, nobody prepares you for that kind of adulthood. And uh, that's, but, but I, in a sense, I guess I was prepared because mm. I had teachers that, that definitely saw that I really, there's a kid that really loves hip hop, but how do we reach him when we, we need him to read some poetry. And then, so uh, that's how it happened. And I, I, I got into poetry. Thank you to E. e. Cummings actually. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, yeah. And then I, that, that became my, my outlet, my, my healing for everything that could ever happen and certainly everything that has so, so far happened. And uh, so I really appreciate that, that, that another poet says and does that too, because it, it makes you feel a little less alone, you know? So it's like, it's, yeah. and, uh, and, and poetry is, it's, it's still, even though I'm writing about a loss, even though you're writing about loss, it's still, it's still living. And it's a way to memorialize, and you know, and so we keep coming back to that. Or at least I keep coming back to that thought. Listen, so. there are there are two reasons that humans have for not thinking that they should tell the world the secret stuff that's that that they carry inside, and and both of them are wrong, right? The two reasons are this: one, we don't tell people what is we're carrying because we think we're the only ones who have ever carried it. And that's wrong because when we do say it, people come up to us and say, oh my God, you put, you put it into words perfectly. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And the other reason we don't tell people the secret things that we carry is because we think that everybody has felt that. So what, right. why, what makes me special? And uh, you know, the, the only childhood we really know is the one that we lived. Absolutely. So you, you, which means that, you know, isn't, everybody's like somebody who grows up with an absent father, you know, it's like, isn't that everybody's experience? Like, no, it's it, like, it's, uh, it's common. You're not the only one, but nobody had your experience. So tell me, tell me yours. But, but also, um, and I don't know how, whether, whether you feel this, but it, it, it can't be just a, a poem has to be something more than just a journal entry. You know, it has to do something more than just heal you. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, and so some the, the risk for that is that you're going to be too wedded to the truth or the facts. And so it's important to feel like once you've done your first draft and you're like, whew, okay, now I see where this poem is going. Okay, now what do I need to change in order to make this a better poem? And there's going to be a voice inside you that says, but you can't change it. That's not the way it happened. You're like, I know, I know. But you know what? Never, you know, uh, Twain said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. 
Right. Now, don't scratch too deeply because I, you know, you can find conf- uh, I've probably contradicted myself a hundred times already tonight in talking to you. But you know, yeah, say what you need to say, tell your secrets, but do it in an artful way. And artful is a great word because artful means both full of art and it means you know good at lying. And there's a there's a reason that artful. You know, oh, you are like the artful Dodger is a character. Just uh, thinking about him. Oliver Twist. He's not. They don't call him that because he's skilled with paint. The artful, you artful little Dodger. He's good at lying. And how are you good at lying? You're good at inventing things, details, specific details that are going to make this more believable and memorable. So I completely understand the, the, the connection between the two definitions of artful. And if you think about it, crafty has the same two definitions. It does, yeah. Crafty means good with macaroni and popsicle sticks. <laughs> and it means, you know, sneaky, good at constructing something for the, for the uh, purposes of deceit. Yeah, I, like, I, like, I like that. I feel that. It's, it's, I forgot who was telling me. Uh, but they were... The the it was uh, I can't remember now, but the the basic paraphrase is, I'm going to tell you my truth, but I'm going to make it sound really good. <laughs> well, you sure it wasn't Emily Dickinson saying, "Tell all truth, but tell it slant." It might have been her. <laughs> but, uh, you just gave me an idea, uh, uh, or I just gave myself an idea talking to you. That if I ever get invited to give a craft talk, I talk about the craft of poetry. Right. I'm going to call it a crafty talk. <laughs> Come to the come to the library today. Taylor Molly is going to be giving a poetic, crafty talk. <laughs> so. That that's that would be awesome. I would go to that. <laughs> so, and that's great. Oh man, oh, what is I was I I had I had a question for you. Oh, we were talking about oh, you were talking about um the, the, how the uh, things come to an edit, and I was and oh yeah. And I'm looking, I was like, I had forgotten it was in there, but it was in at, at the last time as we are, the very last poem in the book, um, Remember Me From Now. Uh, and, it, and, it, yeah, and it came with a little, like, little brown card with another version of that poem on it. And I told oh, my, are I they different? The, they are different. Um, How? How are they different? Uh, so so the, the little brown card that came with it is two stanzas, and it's actually... Uh, I want to say, is it longer? Let's see, two, four, six. It's short. It's shorter in lines, but it's two stanzas. Whereas the one that's in the book uh, is three stanzas, fourteen lines. Um, are all the words the same? All the so words are the same. I yeah. just redelineated it. Yeah. yeah so that I, it would fit more neatly on a little brown card. I think. I think that might have. Well, I mean, it might, that might be. If you tell me that's the truth, then I'll, I'll take I'm it. Holding as that. The, I'm holding the brown card right now. Uh, I did this twice. I wanted to have something small that I could stick in a book, uh, like obviously the one I gave to you, like a little note, like I could, I could sign a book, and then it, I stole this from Billy Collins. He, uh, when I went to go visit him, he was like, "Here, let me give you this." And I said, oh, could you, uh, my, my mother-in-law is a huge fan of yours. And he said, here. And he, like, his publisher, Random House, had printed up these little broadsides of him, oh. uh, of one of his poems. And it was a neat little postcard size. And uh, so the, the, 
the first iteration of that little uh, brown card is is cardstock and like does the one that you have have green ink or blue ink? It looks like it is green ink. Green ink. So it's just it's laser, it's beautifully laser printed. Like it's a high quality Xerox on interesting brown paper, right? Yes. With green ink. All right. That's the that's the the one I when when everybody loved it. I was like, okay, I got to make these, but I got to make them a little bit less expensive. Because um, the first iteration was uh, letterpress. You know, oh. it, it was on a piece of beautiful cardstock that they had to cut down 16 virgin old growth trees just to make <laughs> one of these pieces of thick paper. And the letterpress was beautifully, in, you know, indented, pressed. Oh, and, uh, and it's like each one was five dollars, and I was like, "Nah, I, I, the whole point of this was to give them away." Uh, <laughs> so I did it again. But so I had to, I, I, you know what? If you take that little car, you'll probably see that it's probably exactly one quarter of a sheet of paper. I, I so they, looking at Yeah, I could see that actually, or maybe maybe almost, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I could see that. But I bet I redelineated the poem just to make it fit better on on that little card. That sounds like something I, I love line breaks. I love them so much that, Hey, if I have another project, let's redelineate it. I don't mind, <laughs> but I love, you know, I, this is a poem that I send to people. Um, I've got a couple of poems that get, get sent around what teachers make. Uh, thank you for not, we don't have to talk about that. What teachers make <laughs> gets sent around at the beginning of the year and the end of the school year. Oh yes. That's it's everywhere. Been, plagiarized by you know thousands of teachers everywhere and um, how falling in love is like owning a dog gets read at thousands of weddings every year and uh i've got this poem remember me from now gets read at a lot of funerals um i could see that yeah as i i wrote a poem similar that i hope that people read it at funerals at some point in that <laughs> I, I wake up and, and I, I feel mortal, but not in that way that I'm afraid to die. And <clears throat> excuse me, but I, 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 but basically like, you know, hopefully you remember me well. And so I, I feel that poem too. Cause like, it's, it's a, you know, it, I, I think cause we all, we all will leave this earth. You know? So we all think about it. That's, you know, Terrence Hayes, uh, the poet, uh, came to read it. I think it was either poetry, uh, page meet stage or he came to my my the poetry slam that i run and and he said well this poem is about i went out and then i looked at the flowers and the flowers reminded me that life is beautiful and thank god we're all gonna die and it's like okay that's every <laughs> poem you know I feel like the job of the poet is to make you you know let's talk about the things that nobody talks about like the fact that we're all gonna die I got the, there's in one of my poems uh, in I think it's in uh, the last time as we are you know I say I don't want to tell you what you already know, so I won't tell you that you're gonna die. You know? Yeah, that's that, that was in that one. I just yeah. came through that in my doing my homework. Listen, the corner, your podcast. Did you share a poem of your own in the um, first in the first episode, or is that not what it's about? The I I I did. In a sense, share a poem is uh, I, it called the corner, which became the the intro to the show. Oh, uh, okay. So it's like a short piece about how I see the corner. Um, 
as a as a as a metaphor, if you will. Um, and I, it's like I think the metaphors are pretty thick in the intro because I had to short a little bit. It's and uh, it's because I grew up in Dorchester, Massachusetts, where the corner is, you know, that's where the store was. That's where you meet your friends. That's where you would, uh, you know, that's where you would see people like, you know, those, those crazy, you know, the end is nigh signs. Mm. Um, that Like everything happened on corners. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in developing this idea of, uh, to, to do this, you know, I, 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 I think I told you I went back and forth with thinking, like, I'm going to call it what poetry is and isn't. And I'm like, that's going to be really stupid. And I, <laughs> and I immediately thought that. I'm like, so then, like, at some point, I'm, you know, just I'm brushing my teeth and my, my wife is already tucked in the little one and she's she's reading. And I come up, I'm like, I'm going to fucking call the corner. And she's like, why are you swearing and what are you calling the corner? <laughs> I said the podcast. I'm going to call the podcast the corner. Thank you, honey. Go, sorry, go have another beer. And, yeah, yeah. It's how old is much. your How old is your little one? She is uh, almost nine months old. Uh, which, uh, which incidentally, it's like I, I've been married before too, uh, prior to my wife, uh, and we're still friends. We're cool, but we have a little like we, well, she's not little anymore. There's 15 years in between the baby and the oldest, so. I have just enough time to not know what the hell I'm doing with the baby. <laughs> so it's, well, you've it's, been down this road before. You, I don't. Yes, yeah, I, I only know what it's like to have a, a son who's seven and a daughter who's five. Yeah, so you have them spaced out perfectly. <laughs> perfectly spaced out. Yeah, that's my book. <laughs> Are yes. you? We we so we met in. Um, I read to your class, or your class came to. Uh, my class came to you. You mentioned Concord. You came yeah. to Con- what was Concord? What did I do in Concord? You were doing a, I think you were at a, a high school. Okay. And it was at the audit at an auditorium. And if I'm looking at, uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, it was in January of 2012. Um, so and so I took my creative writing classes to to you to to Concord because we had bought tickets because uh, we had this awesome coordinator who could do all sorts of really cool field trips and I saw your name come up I'm like let's do that and so I took three sections of my creative writing classes to you um, and that's where I first met you because like the kids were talking about like oh, he's right there he's right there and then like, I'm like watch this like and they're like what I'm like he's he's human I'm gonna go talk to him and so I started talking to you oh and that what a great lesson for them yeah like and that's a, that 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 was that day that that was just a, when I, when my friend uh, um, who is actually really my adopted big brother like he he's a big inspiration as to why I'm doing this podcast. He basically said, "Think of all the guests you want and just ask them." And that's that's when I sent you the message that I sent you. But I also had that inspiration of like I just walked up to him one day and said, "Hey, I'm Matt. I'm, these are my my students," and you know. Hello. So that's how I did it to get to ask you to come on. So, oh, well, I'm glad I said yes again. Are thank you, you. Are you, wait, do you do you do you have your own press? Are you over 250? Um, I have I have my own I have my own uh, cop, copyright and I own all I own my own stuff. Are you a big Are you a big guy? Um, no, no. Okay. No. All right. Or the wrong guy, wrong guy in New Hampshire. Yeah. But I am, uh, well, I'm currently in Vermont and I was then too, but I, yeah, I was teaching in New Hampshire at the time. Um, probably five ten. Um, 
Um, you look at if you look at me like, yeah, that 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 dude's probably into poetry. Okay, <laughs> so all right. Uh, I'm also the the same kid that was into. I mean, I loved hip hop too. I think I said that already too. So that was my true into poetry. And then when I met the idea of slam poetry, I'm like, okay, this is this is really this is that, that 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 combines your two loves, right? There. Yeah, absolutely. And like I in that first episode. First couple episodes of Death Poetry Jam. I'm like, that that's the po- the poem that shall not be named. I saw your face, your voice, heard your voice, and I'm like, this poem is fucking amazing. Do you and- remember um, there was one episode of that? I like to tell my I like to tell people that I was the original most deaf, uh, which is <laughs> technically true in one sense, and that is that um, I was part of the crew, half a dozen poets who were who uh, helped. Danny Simmons and Bruce George and uh, Russell Simmons come up with the idea of, uh, of a short variety show of spoken word poets uh, called Deaf Poetry Jam. And, and we, we put the show uh, on two years in a row at the Comedy Arts Festival, uh, HBO Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. And we basically sold the show to H- HBO there. Um, awesome. And I was the original MC. Uh, I did, oh. I did a couple of poems myself, and then when the show got picked up, they decided to get somebody uh, really good, and that's how Most Deaf. I don't think Most Deaf knows that. I I don't think he'd remember my name, but I was on the show three times, and he would remember. Oh shit! I remember you. You were good. <laughs> I, I know that his real name is Dante because uh, somebody called him that backstage. And, yeah, uh, is, is that is that commonly known? Um, well, he, it's, he has for, a different name now, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's uh, Yasin Bey is what he goes by now. Uh-huh. I think that is because uh, he is he's a he's a devout Muslim. Uh-huh. Um, I I don't think everybody knows hip hop geeks like myself totally nerd out on what their what the government name was. Right. Um, so like yeah, Dante Smith would be his government name. Okay, government and, name. Yeah, and then uh, but there was one episode. He always had a couple of you know he would come out and say. Like in the beginning, he he would often say, and my heart would drop every time uh, that he would come out and say, "Y'all ready to hear some poetry, motherfuckers?" Right. Like, God damn it! There's another <laughs> fucking episode that can't be used in a high school, Dante. <laughs> um, uh, but um, he would always, you know, there was a little bit of interstitial uh, patter with the audience yeah. uh, between poems, and then he int- introduced the next poet. But every now and then he would just drop 30 seconds of rhymes. In yeah. Between. Oh, God. I don't know whether they made it to the DVDs, but... Some, some of them did. Oh, okay. they, like, yeah, so some, like, that... He's got an amazing mind, too, because, like, he... He's a student as well. I mean, I think he's... he's definitely, definitely, if we talk about that academia, I think he would be the first person to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a student. Huh. And, and, like, he... And I have not met him, uh, but I've seen interviews where he talks about like he talks about hip hop in a way that that we're talking about poetry, oh. and to me, there's not a lot of difference. No. Um. So, so so that that it just uh, he's got an amazing mind. So when I hear him quote Thelonious Monk or do a to a, a Shakespearean intro to one of the episodes that I just watched today, I'm like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's saying. Yeah. So this is this is really this is really to lack of better words, you guys really fucking dope to watch and uh it's like it's and i remember seeing you on those those first handful of episodes and i'm like 
Uh, and it was your voice that got me. And I know that the, the, the message was definitely loud and clear. And I was in my teaching program when I saw you, um, saw you on the show anyway. And when uh, I think I told you this when I met you is that although you didn't inspire me to be a teacher, you, you kind of kickstarted my, my writing again. Now. Oh, good. good. So, so like, I'm like, okay. So this- you never, you never tried to be one of the thousand people like influence to be a teacher and i feel like it would have been dishonest if i put my name on that list because uh, i because i was already in my my teaching program so you know the the uh my standards for how i counted the 1000 people who i convinced to be a teacher it took me 12 years to do it because your hair was I, very long <laughs> I, my hair was very long i didn't even get the idea to grow my hair out and you know cut my hair when i did it uh until the very end but um my standards got 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 very lax towards the end because <laughs> I wanted the I wanted the, uh, the book uh, What Teachers Make in Praise of the Greatest Job in the World, which came out with Penguin uh, ten years ago now, um, wow. was uh, was going to come out in April of 2012, and I it, like in 2011 or maybe January in 2012 when I saw you. I was like, okay, I've got 800. I need to get 200 more before the book comes out in three and a half months. Uh, so my, you know, early on, if somebody like you had said, dear Mr. Molly, you know, you truly inspired me to become a teacher, even though I was technically already in my teaching program when I began, I would write back and say, I'm sorry, Matthew, but this list <laughs> is only for people who wanted to be engineers and i helped change their mind but by the end by the end like in the <laughs> final months people would say dear mr molly i'm only 12 years old but because of you i intend to be a teacher i'm like great sign up here's, here's where you sign <laughs> up you're you're number 998 that's awesome <laughs> a very unscientific count but i did have a thousand i had a thousand different names and emails uh, addresses and little descriptions and and, that's a uh, that's every a now and then I get, I get an email from somebody going hey i'm on your list i'm number 775 that's awesome and that's a it's a beautiful thing i mean i get really like i mean teaching in all sorts of ways gets such it's at its best gets a weird rap and at its worst it gets the the absolute shit end of the stick and like, right and it's and it doesn't matter where you teach and it doesn't matter what you teach you're always going to hear the themes of that poem that we will not name. Uh, <laughs> it's my Voldemort poem. Yeah, I can't believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I didn't want to ask you about that particular poem because I know that that poem has been, yeah, that 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 that's been for your Voldemort. But uh, oh, that's but, uh, so that's so sweet of you. You really didn't. You weren't going to ask me about it. No, no. But I wanted to talk. I mean, like we've been, we've talked about education, so like that was my 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 concession and also well like all, I, I know how things can get tired and so it's i don't want to i don't want to tire you even more on a tired hey tired before subject. we uh, before we get off the subject of hip-hop and i'm uh, i'm a little too old to have like grown up with hip-hop if i'd been like a year younger i would it would have been influenced me more um but I, but I, I, I love it when I, I have old white ears. So there's a lot that I, I need to be able to hear all the lyrics. I need to be able to hear everything that oh, you yes. say. And sometimes my, 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 uh, 
upper middle class ears can't really, I can't, I just can't decipher it. Like, can you put the subtitles on? Um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask, uh, my, my son, my seven year old son is, is really getting into hip hop. And he's like, Hey daddy, I can, I think I can do all the words of the search except when it starts getting really fast. And I was like, okay, that's really good. That's really good. Um, do you freestyle? Um, apparently I do when I'm very tired. Uh, um, and I, apparently I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, oh. I, I don't believe the friend because he doesn't have any evidence of such <laughs> freestyling. Yes. But, uh, and I rhyme when I really, like I, I have to put effort to rhyming, despite the fact that I've grown up with, with hip hop. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, but I honestly like, and not not to totally make it about the intro of this this podcast, but that was freestyled. That just like that came off the top of my head how it sounds, and I sped it or I crunched it in together. Uh huh. But but the but the all the words that you'll you if you've heard the the intro, and I'll send you the link when this is all edited in together and everything. Um, when you hear the intro, all of that came off the top of my head as it was every syllable of that. And it's short, so I'll take some credit for like short brilliance. Short in the, brilliance. In yeah. the world in the world of freestyling, but I'm not gonna take much credit beyond that. So. Well, I haven't done any live shows in high schools for, for a while, but uh it start I started to get the question at almost every other high school and sometimes middle school, there would be a a kid, always a boy, who had uh, been egged on by his. Uh, when I get to the Q and A section of my reading, uh, which is never at the end, you know, I always do the Q and A about two thirds of the way through because invariably a question will remind me of a poem that I wanted to read, and and it's much better to end with poetry. I'm there to read poems rather than end with, uh, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, do you wear boxers or briefs? Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and so there's always a kid who gets encouraged by his people, the, the other dudes in his row. And he raises his hand and says, do you freestyle? And, uh, and I go, uh, not really but I bet I could beat you in a rap battle right now if you have the guts to join me on stage. And then the whole audience goes, ooh, do it, do it. And they come up on stage and we freestyle battle. And guess what? I always lose. And he's got a great story to tell. He won't, that, those kids who I have battled and insulted uh, to their friends, and did my best to 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 rhyme. Uh, you know, they won't remember a, a word of my poetry, but they will remember. You know, people won't remember what they say, but they will remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. And I and I, you know, they will remember that I, you know, I I I challenged them. They rose to the occasion, and then they beat me. They <laughs> all managed to beat me. That, that that that's definitely the memory making that that makes it happen. You know? Yeah, I love it. Love it. And Listen, I'm fading. That's 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 okay. Oh, I got cats fighting in my background too. So oh, okay. But uh, yeah, um, let me yeah. Um, let me was... read you. Uh, let me read you a final poem. Okay. Um, I'm working on a manuscript now called The Descendant of Mercy, 
patience and experience, although it might just be called The Descendant of Mercy. And it's based on the um, 11 women in my family tree whose name was either Mercy, Patience, or Experience. Does your family go way back in uh, in New England? Um, we actually, we're I'm, I'm, my brother and I are actually only second generation Americans. So, oh, okay. So my cousins as well, and uh, yeah, so we don't and go too from, far back. That's from both sides. Um, yep, uh, my mom and dad, uh, my biological father and, and my mother, both uh, their parents came from Ireland. Okay, and then. All of the, the the uncles and aunts on both sides were the first generation of Americans, right? And then my bro- my brother and I and our cousins second, and what we all we we did we're definitely we were rooted in Boston, Massachusetts, though. So, um, well, then let me read you a poem about Mary McBride, all right. who was the Irish uh, the Irish servant of one of my. Uh, Let's see, James, great, great, great grandfathers. I'm looking at my family tree right here, and it's got um, only direct descendants. I just put it up on my wall. It's round. It's not doesn't look like a tree at all. It looks like a dartboard with me at the center. <laughs> at the center, it's what's called an. Anybody who's listening who's into uh, genealogy, I can tell you this is an ascendancy chart, which means it's got no siblings on it. No aunts, no uncles, no cousins. Okay, it's only got me and my, you know, my mother and father, and then my four grandparents and my eight great grandparents and my sixteen great great grandparents, and everybody has thirty-two great 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 grandparents, unless, you know, unless you're descended from cousins who married, which happens all the time. There's <laughs> nothing to. Be- to, to, to be made fun of, unless it's like, you're, you know, the child of first cousins, which also happens. But this family <laughs> chart, this, I, I write a lot about genealogy um, and the architecture of family, because I feel like nobody really understands the relentless geometry of, of, of who they are. You know, um, you only have to go four or five, six, maybe six generations back before you get your... 256 ancestors who all, you know, bred and produced 128, uh, you know, men and women who married and produced 64 men and women who made 32 men and women who made 16, who made, you know, eight, who made four. (laughs) And those are your grandparents who made a man and a woman, and that's your mother and their father, and they made you. And so my family chart that I'm looking at is just so fucking, uh, it's got like over 2000 people on it. And it goes back (laughs) in, you know, uh, 12 generations in almost uh, every direction. And I'm just, I've got a Mayflower, uh, I've descended from a Mayflower uh, uh, traveler, that's not what they're called, passenger um, on on a couple of different uh, angles. And I'm, I'm Dutch from the earliest Dutch um, so this guy, James Collis, who's buried in the Greenwood, and I have a key to his mausoleum, uh, was born in New York in like 1788 and died in New York as well uh, at age 93. So he lived Ooh. a long life and he was uh, very successful. And, 
And I bet this woman, Mary McBride, she, I've seen her grave in the Greenwood Cemetery. It's an old Victorian cemetery. And um, the Collis, James Collis built this mausoleum into a hillside and you go inside and there are 25, uh, you know, coffin births. It's like a, like a, you know, in, in, in cop shows when they go to the morgue and right. they slide out the dead body on the, on the, on the bookshelf, you know, on the drawer. Imagine that without the, without the rolling drawer that there are, I'm sure if you busted open the, the marble slabs, you'd, you'd see the desiccated coffin and the bodies inside, but I'm of course not going to do that. But um, <laughs> Mary McBride. So James Collis's mother is the, is the, is the ancestor of mine um, through whom I track my uh, ancestry back to the Dutch who arrived in New Amsterdam in 1624. And he was very proud of the fact that he was old New York. He was old New York back in, you know, 18, in the early 1800s. Um, and, uh, and he didn't talk too much about the fact that his father was just a grubby Irish immigrant like you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, but, but he had uh, this woman who worked for him, Mary McBride, and she's buried in the Greenwood Cemetery, not in his family mausoleum, right outside. And it mm. says, it says, Mary McBride, faithful servant to James Collis for over 50 years. That's what it says on her gravestone. And I'm always eager to throw my ancestors under the bus when I can. Because at first <laughs> I thought, oh, isn't that nice? He gave this old woman who was probably, you know, his governess. No, she's, she, she only, he died at age 90. And, and she worked for him for over 50 years. That means she was probably the governess of his children. And then his children got grew up and had children and uh, and he just kept this old lady around. And, and then uh -huh. she said, she probably went to him and said, uh, Mr. Collis, I'm getting on in years. I don't know where I'm going to be buried. And he said, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. And if you die, I'll, I'll leave, you know, you, you, I'll give you a resting place and I'll have your stone carved for you. And so at first I thought, oh, isn't that nice of him? And then I realized, you fucking asshole. This poor woman, <laughs> this poor woman have to has to work for you even after you die. So here's a poem called Poem for Mary McBride, faithful right. servant to James Collis for over 50 years. Everyone knows who you were, Miss Mary, and what you did for my third great-grandfather. And for how long? Because it says so right on your gravestone, which sits just outside the family mausoleum. James Collis made so much money when he was alive that he must have known he couldn't take it with him when he died, which is why he tried to take you instead, Miss Mary. And with both of you now dead over a century, here's what I imagine he might have said. You may rest assured, McBride, that I will provide a final resting place for you, even if I should have died many years before. Furthermore, I will pay for your stone and have it carved, and your bones will rest in our family plot. Not inside the vault itself, of course. You're Irish, after all, but close enough 
that should I need you, you will still be able to hear my call. Ooh, I love it. Fucking asshole. He's, yeah. And makes this poor woman wait on him after death. Uh, even in the afterlife. Even in the afterlife. Oh, man, I guess always once an asshole, always an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Man. you so much for having me on. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Uh, can, I, can I call you just Taylor? Yes, of course you can. Uh, th- thank you very much, Taylor, for coming on. Keep and on doing the dirty work of, uh, of poetry, whether it happens in the trenches or on the corner. Uh, I will definitely do so. Thank you again, Taylor. All right. Uh, this has been Taylor Molly on the corner. Have a good night. Boom. There goes your music. There we go. <laughs> All right. I got to go. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.